Amen. Please open your Bibles with me, if you have them, to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 6. 2 Corinthians, chapter 6. We'll just be looking at the first ten verses today of this chapter. I've entitled today's message, Working Together with Him. Working Together with Him. We had a, a real nice evening on Monday night of this week. Uh, we were able to gather all of our ministry leaders, assistant pastors, anyone involved in leading ministry here. We had a, a time of fellowship on Monday evening, and uh, we had a, a little time of dinner, and spouses were included, and it was really a nice, nice time. And we also were able to invite even some of the uh, surrounding smaller church plants uh, that we are we have friendship with uh, through Calvary Chapel affiliation. Invited some of them and their leaders to come out and join us. And we had a real nice turnout and a great evening. And uh, we were blessed that Pastor Brian from Calvary Chapel La Mirada, he was able to come up and encourage our hearts. And really, really a nice time of encouragement. Excuse me. One of the verses that he referenced was out of Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 7. And again, he's speaking, this is the Apostle Paul speaking about his ministry. He said, I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. And we were reminded on Monday night that, you know, really to serve the Lord in ministry, to be useful in God's kingdom, is really a great privilege. It is a great opportunity. And it's a result of the gift of the grace of God and His power working within us. Serving the Lord, working with Him. What an opportunity we have that God has not only saved us, but He has actually invited us to this wonderful work of the kingdom. He calls us, He gifts us, He empowers us, and it's all by His grace. Now what we've seen here recently in our study in Second Corinthians, we saw last week that Paul referenced himself as an ambassador for Christ. Someone who was appealing for men to be reconciled to God. He said it's almost as if God is pleading it through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, come and be reconciled to God. And what we'll see here now in, in the beginning of chapter 6, Paul references himself as a worker together with the Lord. He is an ambassador and he also sees himself as a co-laborer with the Lord. Take a look with me as uh, Paul talks of his own ministry and invites the, the, minister, the church to join him in this labor. Look with me now in verse 1 and 2. What then, as workers together with him, uh, excuse me, we then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Paul says that we are workers together with him. Interesting that he would use this word worker. He doesn't say we are slackers, we are couch potatoes, we are workers, we are busy about the Lord's business. You know, the Bible teaches that Christians, saints, are to be equipped for the work of the ministry. All of us, as God's children, have been called and are now being equipped for what? The work 
of ministry. God has, has invited all of us to the work. And we are workers. The Christian life is not a life of ease and self-indulgence. Now, all workers, of course, need rest, and certainly we do enjoy rest and leisure and recreation with the Lord. Nothing wrong with that. But our primary calling is to be workers, busy for the Lord. You know, and it's not just a worker, but Paul says we are workers together with Him. What kind of work are we engaged in? Well, we're engaged in His work. We're working with Him. Notice he doesn't say that Jesus has come to work with us. Now, that's the way we often think, oh, Lord, I've got great plans for you and I. If you'll just come and help me accomplish the work I desire. But that's not really what God has called us to. But rather, we've been called to his work. It's not ours. It's his that, that God is, is busy about doing. Remember Jesus teaching us to pray. What? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are invited to the kingdom work of God, not Him coming to help us fulfill our work, but rather us to Him. Jesus said this when, about His own ministry when He was here. He said that He must be about His Father's business. And if we are going to be workers together with Him, we also are going to have to be about our Father's business. And God invites us to this task. Now, he also says something very, very profound here in verse 1, and I want to spend a little time on it. He says, do not receive the grace of God in vain. I want to talk a little bit about what that means, but I think you would agree with me that that's important. We definitely don't want to receive God's grace in vain. Now, we saw earlier in chapter 5, as I mentioned, Paul, as an ambassador, was pleading with men to be reconciled to God. So clearly Paul believed that some of the, of the people attending the Corinthian church had not yet come to reconciliation with God. Although they were in church, they were not necessarily yet in Christ. It is possible to attend church and even be religious about it, and yet never really come to a personal relationship where Jesus has become your Lord, your Savior, and you have, been your, have had your sins forgiven, and you are now reconciled with God. And certainly Paul saw some of that in the church, which is why he implored some to be reconciled to God. And to receive this message of grace, to hear about this opportunity of reconciliation, and to reject it, to harden your heart against it, that would be... Receiving the grace of God in vain, wouldn't it? To have that opportunity, to have that invitation, and yet to not believe it. Or maybe to postpone it. I'm not quite ready for it. Here's this message, this grace of God being offered, but it comes to you in vain because you do not embrace or receive it into your own heart. I'm not quite ready, some would say. I want to, but, but not yet. Maybe soon, maybe someday. But the psalmist says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. There is a danger in hearing this invitation to come to God and Christ and be reconciled and have your sins forgiven. There's a danger having heard that and rejecting it. Over time, you know, you can become desensitized to that. Yeah, yeah, I know, and I've heard it all before, but you're not really changed by it. It never really becomes personal. I would encourage you, even if you're here today, 
and you do not have that kind of a relationship with Him, don't receive this grace in vain. God is wanting to reconcile you to Himself. But I also believe that in this particular verse, Paul is not just addressing those that do not know Christ. I think he's speaking also to the believers. And I'll tell you why. I'll share a couple of other verses that lead me to think that. But remember that this is a letter written to who? The church of God at Corinth and all the saints in the region. This letter is written to Christians. It's written to those that know the Lord, that have already received the grace of God into their life. They've already come to faith in Christ. And yet Paul says, don't let that grace come to you in vain. You know, he said earlier, again in chapter 5, he said that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Now, I think the problem Paul is addressing here is that in this church, there are some Christians that were continuing to simply live for themselves. And the grace of God was somewhat in vain. It wasn't really having full opportunity to impact their life. It is possible to receive His grace of salvation and yet not allow His grace to effectively work in our lives. Surely you know some that you have seen that in. I mean, you may be one of those here this morning. You're saved, but the grace of God isn't really transforming your life in the way God has in mind. But you've got to remember that God has not just saved us from something. He has saved us for something. He has saved us from our sin and from the judgment for sin. But He has saved us for service, for glory, for His purpose, for His will. That His will would be affected in and through your life. So this is, I believe, part of what the Apostle Paul is getting at here. Don't let this grace just kind of come in vain. He says something in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'll try and have these verses for you up on the overhead. Look, what, look at how Paul relates to the grace of God in his own life. He said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Paul said, I received this grace of God just as you have. But it didn't come to me in vain because I labored with that grace. It was a partnership Paul viewed for the grace of God in his life. The grace of God produced fruitful labor and ministry. Now understand, grace by definition is a free gift. There is no working for grace, but there is working with grace. And that's what Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians. It's, it, I labored, but it wasn't really I. It was the grace of God in me. There was this cooperation, this partnership with the grace of God. Philippians chapter 2. We find a similar thought in verse 12. He says this, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. He doesn't say work for your salvation, but rather work out your salvation. Salvation comes as a gift. We can't earn it. It's something that God does in us. So it's actually working out what God is working in. James said this, Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith 
by my works. You see, God has saved us for destiny, for purpose. Not just from our sin, thank God for that, but also His grace wants to use your life. And He doesn't want us to receive this wonderful gift in vain. You know, I uh, used to lead worship for, that was a lot of my ministry responsibility years before I was pastoring. I was a worship leading pastor. And, you know, when I was leading worship, I was playing guitar all the time. I was, uh, you know, learning songs, learning music, rehearsing, leading services. And uh, I went out and invested in a good quality guitar, and I still have it. And, you know, I've, it's, I've got a lot of miles on that guitar. But today, the Lord has kind of redirected me. My ministry really isn't leading worship as much now as it is teaching and pastoring the church. So, you know, I was thinking, you know, what if someone wanted to give me a wonderful guitar? What if somebody wanted to give me this gift of a really expensive and beautiful guitar? Now, we'll talk color after the service, but, you know, what if, God, what if someone, God put that on their heart? And they said, Pastor, we, do, we know you play guitar, we know you're going to look, we, oh my God, what a wonderful gift. But I have to say, today, it would probably be sitting in its case most of the time in my living room. It would be a gift given to me in vain. I simply don't have the time or the opportunity to play it and to really use it in ministry anymore. I'd love to have it so that I could look at it and play it once in a while. It would be neat to, to own and have something like that. But truthfully, it wouldn't find its full expression in my life. And I think that's part of what Paul is getting at here. Don't, don't have this wonderful gift of grace. Salvation has come to your life. Don't just keep it in its case and look at it in the living room. How wonderful. I'm saved. Look what God has done for me. That's wonderful. But put it to work. Pick it up. Go out and minister with it. Let the grace of God bring you into this working together with Him. Partnering with His grace. Trusting Him? Yes. Relying on Him? Certainly. But working hard. Working hard in the Lord. Paul says, I labored abundantly, yet not I the grace of God within me. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. And he tells us why this is so important in verse 2, doesn't he? Look what he says again in verse 2. He says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. This is why working together with him is so urgent, because today's the day of salvation. Now is the time to serve the Lord. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. None of us are assured of what tomorrow brings. Today is the day that He's given to you. Now's the time you have opportunity to serve Him. Paul quotes this passage from Isaiah, and I truly believe it's to, set, uh, to stress a sense of urgency. Remember what Jesus said of His own ministry in John chapter 9 and verse 4. He said, I must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. You have this unique opportunity today to serve the Lord, to co-labor in the work of the kingdom. This is not a time to be consumed with ease, comfort, self-indulgence. This is a time to work with the Lord. 
you know, oftentimes my wife and I will we'll take little weekend getaways. or Well, not weekends. We're usually here on weekends. But our weekend is somewhere, you know, during the week. But we'll get away sometimes and take a drive. We'll stay overnight somewhere. I, I really look forward to those little kind of reprieves, a little rest, a little focus on our marriage. And oftentimes, we, you know, you go out into some of this real pretty countryside, a drive along the coast, you know. Some of the rolling hills back in in California, you know. There's beautiful places, and when you're there, you just think, oh, man, let's live here, you know. (laughs) This is where we should be doing ministry. This is, Lord, don't you want to plant a church here, you know. And you you imagine, you see yourself kind of engaged in that real beautiful setting and kind of a a slower pace. But, you know, I have to be honest with you that... uh, I'm always looking forward to getting back because I know that's not what the Lord has for me. And on any kind of an extended trip, then, I, then you really begin to get anxious to get back to the work of the Lord. Vacations are great. It's wonderful to kind of rest and enjoy leisure. But God has called us to the work of the kingdom. Enjoy those times of refreshing. But that's not the focus. That can't be the priority of our life. Something else that I think it's not time for It's not time to be entangled in sin and compromise. This is not a time to be chasing after the world or the things of the world. Let me remind you of what the book of Romans tells us, chapter 13 and verse 11. It says this, And do this knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. It's high time. It's high time to live for God. This is our generation. This is our day. This is your time. And God is calling us to co-labor with Him, to work together with Him. Let me offer just some practical thoughts on this topic. First of all, I would say don't procrastinate. You know, it's so easy to put it off into the future. I want to. I'm going to. I'm planning to. Oh yes, I'm going to be busy in the Lord. I just got to get, get, get the kids through school. No, I just got to, once I'm married, then I'm really going to be fruitful. I can't be fruitful, I'm married. You know, whatever it is, you're on one side of the coin. There's always something, reason to put off serving the Lord and working with the Lord. How many of you remember that old song, Cats in the Cradle? Remember the lyrics from that old song? When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when, but we'll have a good time then, son. You know we'll have a good time then. And that good time never comes because you're always postponing and procrastinating. There'll be plenty of time for me to serve the Lord in the future, but right now, I'm a little too occupied. Jesus said this in John 4, verse 35. Do not say, or excuse me, do you not say, there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, Lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. God has put fruitful labor before you even now. There may be more to come, but even today we can serve the Lord. Today is the day. 
A second practical thought is, don't complain. If the Lord gives you works, fruitful labor, don't complain. The Bible says do all things without complaining and disputing. God loves a cheerful giver. We're not supposed to be griping and moaning about the work that the Lord would give us. Oh man, I've got to do this and I've got to preach today. Oh man, that's not what the Lord is looking for. He wants a cheerful giver, an appreciation that God has even included you in this work. Don't complain. Something else I would say practically, don't compare. Well, if I have to do this, how come he doesn't have to do this? Well, how come I'm the only one doing the work around here? How come I'm serving the Lord? When is the rest of the church going to get engaged in ministry? Very, very easy to get comparing about, you know, the work you're doing. And you're, really, it's an issue of your own heart. You, re, you resent the fact that you're having to serve the Lord and someone else doesn't seem to be as engaged as you are in a particular need or ministry. Now, listen, work is not just working here at the church. Serving the Lord is everywhere you go. You are engaged in the work together with Him. Here, out there, at home, in the workplace. God has given you work to do. Don't start comparing with what others are doing or are not doing. Remember Jesus said this in Luke chapter 10, verse 2. He said, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Look, the harvest is is great. And the truth is the laborers are few. If you're looking around to see how many are are wanting to serve the Lord with you, don't be surprised that we're not this big army. Even if the whole church here engaged aggressively in the serving of the Lord, we'd still be few in comparison to the field of harvest that is about us. The times are dark. People are lost. Souls are struggling. Young people are are lost and confused. The fields are wide open. Oh, we need workers and we need lots of them. And, And it's not to think that somehow if everybody served, then we'd have enough. We still won't have enough. The workers are few. So here's what we should do. We should complain. And we should criticize why there are not more workers. Is that what Jesus said? He said, pray. If God begins to open your eyes to the work, and you begin to realize, wow, there's, there's such a huge work of ministry before me. How can I do it? How can we do it? We can't. But we can pray. Oh, God, help us. God, send the laborers. Send the co-laborers with us, Lord. And thank you. Thank you for opening my eyes to the work. Thank you for engaging me in working with you in this great harvest. Church, God does not need my reluctant, bad attitude comparing with others' service. It is a privilege to serve the Lord. It is the work of eternity that you have opportunity to sow into. Finally, I would say this concerning just some practical thoughts about your service. Don't look to draw attention to yourself. Don't look to draw attention to yourself. I remind you of this passage in Matthew chapter 6. It's a little lengthy, but I'll have it for you on the overhead. You hear the heart of Christ. He says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. 
Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Boy, I like to blow the trumpet, you know, don't you? I, I, I'm always hoping a camera is, is getting me when I'm lifting chairs through the fellowship hall. Anybody here want to see the pastor working? I think this would be good for Facebook. See, look. Oh. <laughs> I want people to know I'm serving, and, and we're like that. We're all that way. You know, we want, we want to be appreciated. We want somebody to notice. But the truth is, when you're doing the Lord's work, believe me, He notices. He sees it all. Nothing goes without His notice. Nothing will go without its reward. And I'd much rather wait and receive my reward from Him than have this temporary reward of men noticing me. No, do it unto God and let, let that be enough for you. You know, I've shared this with you in my own testimony. There was a time in my own life when I came to the realization that the grace of God was really in vain in my life. And what I mean by that is is simply that. I was saved. I was definitely a, a Christian. I was faithful in church attendance. I was working, raising a family. But I knew in my heart that God wanted to use my life in a greater way. And that I was just too distracted, too busy, too self-interested and the Lord began through circumstance to kind of rearrange my priorities and and kind of brought into view the harvest that he really wanted me to be busy with and once I began to see that and sense that I kind of came to a little crossroad in my life and looking back on 10 years I said Lord I want the next 10 years to be different I want there to be something of fruit that I could see for the kingdom of God in my life. And I began to pray and I began to ask the Lord to use my life, to open doors, to give me opportunity to serve. And I'll tell you, once I began to pray and once I began to really you know, seek that and God beginning to stir that in my heart, I became desperate. I was like, Lord, you've just got to use my life. My life has to count for something in the kingdom. And slowly, and the Lord, hearing that cry and hearing that prayer, the Lord began to open doors of opportunity for me to serve Him in the church, outside the church. God began to open doors for me to be a worker with Him. And i got to tell you today, I am so thankful to be off the shelf. I am so thankful to be in the game. I am so grateful that God has given me something to do in an eternal work for His kingdom. As significant or insignificant as it may be, it's the work He's given to me. And I am so thankful to be in the game. Sure, I get tired. I get worn out sometimes. My wife will tell you, I get grouchy sometimes. Why did I sign up for all this ministry? But I'm so grateful. Honestly, those are moments, yes. But I am so grateful that He has allowed me to work with Him. You know, He refreshes me. He strengthens me. Because ultimately, like the Apostle Paul said, it's His grace working in me. Sure, I labor, but it's His grace that empowers me to serve Him in every area of life. Look with me now on these 
the second half of this text that we have this morning. Look with me now, verses 3 through 10. Paul will now speak of his ministry. He invites them to work with him, but now he wants to talk a little bit. Look, here's what working with the Lord looks like in my life. Here's how I am employing this responsibility. Verse 3, we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. But in all things, we, are, we commend ourselves as ministers of God. In much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Paul gives this beautiful resume. Here are my ministry references, if you will. Here's what ministry looks like in my life. He says, first of all, we give no offense. Paul was careful as a worker of, in the gospel. He was careful not to cause others to stumble. Now, it doesn't mean that the message didn't offend, because it does. Sometimes the gospel message does offend. But Paul was okay with the message offending, but he didn't want his conduct to be what would cause someone an offense. He didn't want to be a hypocrite, preaching one message and living something else. Because that distorts the message, doesn't it? Now I'm the offense. The message isn't even given opportunity because I'm living in a way of compromise. Paul said, no, we're careful in our responsibility with the Lord. As a worker with the Lord, I must be willing to live responsibly. Let the gospel have its impact, even if it's offensive, but not my conduct, not hypocrisy, not my own life. Paul gives his commendation as a minister of God. And he says there in verse 4, in much patience. Now that word patience means endurance. It's as though that's, Paul is saying that, that's kind of the, the heading for everything that follows. Paul is saying, here's what, I've, here's what I've embraced in ministry. First of all, endurance. Endurance for all of these things that he's getting ready now to list. This is what patience is referencing to. And you're going to need endurance. Listen, worker of God, co-laborer with the grace of God, he's going to help. He's going to be your source. He's going to be your strength. But you're going to need endurance. There's going to be plenty of opportunity and many occasions to quit. To run, to bail out, to tone it down, to pull back. Oh, you'll have many opportunities. You're going to need endurance because he tells us now some of the trials that ministry brought into his life. Notice there in in verse uh, 4 and 5, he says kind of general trials of life. He starts with these. Tribulations, needs, and distresses. These are the general trials that all of us face, can't you? Don't you see your life there? Tribulations, needs, distresses. Amen. I've experienced that in life too. But you know, guess what? That goes on whether you're serving the Lord or not serving the Lord. 
So you might as well serve the Lord. These are the things that are coming against every life. There are general trials of life that cannot be avoided. And so we must be ready to endure them. We can't get frustrated. We can't blame God. We can't quit on God because life, it didn't go the way we'd hoped. There's a trial. There's a need. This is part of what comes to every life. You will need endurance for those general trials of life. But also, he mentions trials that were inflicted upon him by men through persecution. Look, stripes. That's talking about being beaten across his back. Imprisonments. Paul was in and out of jail throughout his ministry. Tumults. That means commotion. Angry mobs. Riots. Paul was driven out of town on more than one occasion. These are trials of persecution and some of them violent. Things that were done to him as a result of his ministry and working with Jesus. Now I'm thankful today that we do not really experience much of a violent persecution. But listen, there is some still persecution, isn't there? You're going to be mocked. You're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be insulted. Uh, Working together with Jesus is not going to make everyone happy with you. It can happen in your own family. It can happen at work. It can happen with friends. There is a certain reproach that comes to the heart that is committed to working with Jesus. And then he says, look at something else here. I'll call these trials of ministry. These are kind of self-inflicted trials. These are trials that he went through by choice. Labors, sleeplessness, fastings. A willingness to endure hard work, even lack of sleep, intense times of prayer and fasting. These are, the, these are the trials that come, but they come because of the ministry I choose to do and serve the Lord. Look, if you never want to be tired, if you never uh, you know, want to uh, have a sleepless night, and you never want to have to have a burden in prayer, well then just stay away from ministry. Because ministry will have those days. It will have those seasons. Now, thank God it's not constant. (laughs) We couldn't endure it. But there will be seasons, and we will need the grace of God to endure them as well. You know, I want to read a blog to you that was shared with us uh, at our night of worship. And it's a little lengthy, so I'm going to ask you just to bear with me. If I can pull it up here. Hoping that I can. This was shared with us on our night of worship by Dana and our media ministry. And I think it just gets at uh, this heart of what the Apostle Paul is sharing and some of his struggles. Some of you may have heard this on the news, the uh, the. North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un coming against and persecuting Christians. It says, I read the Washington Times news item that Kim Jong-un had ordered the execution of 33 Christians reported to have been part of planting over 500 underground churches in North Korea. I imagine 33 of my Christian friends executed for leading people to Christ facilitating worship, praying, or offering praise to God. I would be horrified, sad, and angry, devastated, but I would also know that God has the last word on their lives, not Kim Jong-un or the evil power behind him. Still, I would want their deaths to motivate the church of Christ. 
I would want their deaths to galvanize other believers, to put feet to their own faith, to fuel their passion for Christ, to remember to pray for those who suffer, to spread God's word with more zeal, persistence, and creativity than ever before. While we in the West argue over worship styles, sleep in when there's a visiting preacher, bemoan having to endure a boring prayer request, uh, a boring prayer request, or an off-key soloist, we serve up the pastor's sermon over lunch, or sit home and judge the church unworthy of our attendance altogether. There are other brothers and sisters gasping their way to every precious moment when they can gather in hiding with other precious believers and hear a whispered message from God, bathe in the reading of His Word and pray with passion and tears for strength to endure and the courage to continue speaking the truth under threat of death. God placed us all where we are. He assigned us to our stations. There is no guilt in being born in the land of the free as opposed to a country under harsh rule. But there is a guilt if we use our freedom to indulge our petty preferences, to pad our comfort, to drift through this dark world basking in our own light, rather than using it to serve those who waste away in prison cells, wondering if they've been forgotten, or their families left to struggle alone with hunger, fear, and loneliness, or those serving the Lord in dark, dark places who need our prayers for their protection, deliverance, courage, and strength. This blog is just a bunch of words. It cost me absolutely nothing to write. I am free here to say whatever I want without fear that it will cost me or my loved ones their lives. But the words I speak on my knees have have the power to move forces in the heavenly realm and make a difference for those who know the names and faces of those 33 facing execution. To comfort those who know their touch, their dreams, the plans they had for this life that will end any minute now. And, are, and to strengthen those who pick up the bloody batons, these 33 will be forced to release and continue to build the kingdom of Christ in lands where the enemy of God rules. Worship will be different for me this week with the report of 33 gunshots bouncing around the inner chamber of my soul. Reminding me that we aren't home yet. Thank you for allowing me to read that to you today. I I know that it's a little lengthy and a little heavy. But I think it, it fits something of the theme that the Apostle Paul is trying to bring to the heart of this church. As he invites them to work together in the Lord. But he tells us in verses 6 and 7, back to our text... He tells us how this work carries on. He's not alone. He does not do this in his own strength. Notice what he says. By purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love. These are all fruits of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is giving him and engaging him by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Boy, I love that. That right hand and on the left, it reminds me of Ephesians 6, that putting on the armor of God. I imagine the the sword of the word of God in my right hand and the shield of faith in my left. God has equipped us for this task. We are not called to do it on our own. God has called us rather to allow the grace of God to work powerfully within us. And don't 
Don't sell that grace short in your life. God can use you. God can do things you never imagined. Remember Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. How? According to the power that works in us. It is by His grace, His power. The Holy Spirit will equip you. The Holy Spirit will meet you as you engage in those things that He has called you to do. You will find great strength and power when you are working together with Him. We finish here in verses 8 and 10, just looking at it again. And Paul, we see here now, puts before us a list of contrasts. And my sense is this. He's saying, look, as we serve the Lord... Here's the way some view us. In fact, here's the way the world sees us. But here in truth is the way God sees us. And I think that there has to be a a willingness in our hearts as well to be content to know what God thinks about our lives than to be worried and troubled about what the world or others think about our lives. Look again. By honor and dishonor. By evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. As we engage in the work together with Him, you're not going to be able to be a man pleaser and go very far in the work. There's not going to be opportunity to be real popular as you serve the Lord. You see, because working with Him is a work that has to be done by faith, not by sight. If you're preoccupied with sight, how you're being perceived, how you're being viewed, then you're going to be missing the work that is to be called by faith. Serving the Lord, those things that are not seen. And I would simply ask us, I ask my own heart today, church, I'm challenged by these thoughts today. Are we willing to put our own reputation, our comfort, our pursuits aside to walk in the good works that He has prepared for us? Is the joy of serving Him as an act of my worship and loyalty to Him, is it enough? Will that truly fulfill me and sustain me? To know that I'm working together with Him. That I'm about the kingdom business. That I'm doing the work that God has predestined for me even before time began. That which He's called me to do. And has given me the grace... Not just to save me, but to equip me and empower me for this ministry, this work. And that has been deposited in each and every one of us. Oh, that we would not receive that grace in vain. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Apostle Paul, his example. But Lord, we recognize that he, like us, just a man... Just a man, but it was the grace of God. The power of God, the touch from God that changed everything for him. And Lord, I pray for us here today, myself included. Lord, help me to be engaged in the work of your kingdom. To be working together with you. 
What an awesome opportunity that you invite me to this work, that you've planned a place for me to fit in. You've planned work specific to me. And Lord, not just me, but all here today. All of us are saints being equipped for the work of the ministry. I pray, God, that you would help us to sort through priorities and to rearrange our hearts in a place that would really allow this grace of God to have full access in our heart, in our conscience, and through our lives. Oh, God, help us as the fields are so white for harvest. And as our heads are bowed here today and we close in prayer, I ask you to stay with me just one more moment in prayer. I want to give an opportunity for anyone that may be here today that needs to respond to the word of the Lord. It may be that you are here today and you have never truly received this message of reconciliation. The message of Jesus. He made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. That is the gospel message. Jesus died for your sins so that you could be forgiven. He paid the penalty. He bore the, bore the, bore the price. He paid it all that you might be not only forgiven, but that you might be righteous before God. You don't have to come to God in shame or fear or guilt. When you come in Jesus, you come confident that He has cleansed you and made you right and reconciled you with Him. And it may be that you've never received that, never in earnest. Maybe you've been in church. You may be attending even regularly or you come semi-regularly but never made it personal. God's speaking to you today. I want to pray. If if you're desiring to, to pray and receive Him, I want to pray for you. But I also want to make opportunity for those of you that may be here today that need to rededicate, recommit your life to the Lord. If you were truly honest between you and the Lord, you might sense today that, you know what, the grace of God in my life is vain. It hasn't really affected me the way I know God wants it to. Truthfully, I'm still living for myself. I'm not really working together with Him at all. I'm just, yeah, I've received His grace. I've received Christ. I know the gospel. I've embraced it, but I'm not allowing it to work through me. And it may be that God is speaking to your heart today and you want to receive, you just want to rededicate, recommit yourself to Him. I want to pray for you too. So if you're here today and you want to receive the Lord Jesus into your life for the very first time, or you're here today and you really need to recommit and rededicate your life to Him, would you simply raise your hand where you're seated and I'll pray for you. God bless you, sir. You up front here, two ladies. God bless you, sir. Am I right? Amen. In the center, amen. Both of two hands there. Hand here, many hands. Amen. Over here on my far left. God bless you, young man. Oh, He loves you. Listen, what He has for you is good. God's not, he's not signing you up for something empty or vain, but something fruitful and beautiful. Anyone else? Many hands have responded. God bless you upstairs as well on the balcony. Over here in the back, amen, on my left. I see you, young man, amen. 
give opportunity. If the Lord's speaking to you, we're going to pray. Today's the day, Paul said. Now's the time. Don't let this message of invitation come in vain. Receive God now. Commit your heart to Him and dedicate Him to, to Him now. Anyone else, just before we pray for the many, God bless you, man. And you, sir, as well. Any others? All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word today. The scriptures teach us that your word is alive, that it's active, that it actually divides our heart, the intentions of our heart. Lord, nothing quite like hearing from heaven. When your word comes to life, it really hits its mark in our hearts. And so, Lord, these that have responded, I know that it's your word that's touched them. It's your love. It's your spirit reaching out to them with love and grace and an offer of reconciliation and fulfillment in life. And so I pray that you would meet them. Lord, we would join our hearts together, those that have responded, and we would say, God, first and foremost, forgive us of our sins. We come to you now and we want to be reconciled. And we acknowledge, Lord, we've missed the mark. We're not perfect. We don't live up to that even which in our own hearts we desire. But we know that you still love us. And we're asking you to forgive us and cleanse us by the blood of Jesus shed at the cross for us. And not only to forgive us and cleanse us, not only to save us from our sin, but Lord, even as we study today, to save us for your purpose. God, fill my heart. Fill me with your spirit. Begin to direct my steps. I want to live for you. I want to be a worker together with you in that which you have prepared for me. I've done my own thing long enough. Lord, the time is at hand. As we read in Romans, it's high time. I'm ready to live for you and with you. God, save me, cleanse me, renew me. And Lord, use my life for your glory. I'm yours, completely yours. In Jesus' name, amen.